From St. Paul's epistle to the Galatians, for freedom Christ has set us free. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost, amen. Good morning, everybody. You are in luck today. You know why? Why, Father? I'm going to tell you. Because when I was in seminary, I had to take summer Greek. You take the entire year of Greek and compress it into three months. All I did was eat, sleep, and drink Greek verbs and nouns and conjugations. And as part of that, I had to translate the epistle to the Galatians. So we're going to go through word by word this morning. Verse by verse in Greek and declare. I'm not going to do that for you. I am going to, however, take uh, the next two weeks, today and next weekend, to wrap up our mini-series on the epistle to the Galatians. Is that feeding back from somewhere? Do you hear that? Anyway, today we're going to talk about something uh, in, in chapter 5, this concept of, as Paul says, this concept of, of freedom. Freedom is one of the most important and powerful ideas in all of human thought. In fact, wars have been fought over this idea of freedom, this concept. Um, this coming Thursday, in fact, is our Declaration of Independence, Independence Day, where we declared our freedom from English tyranny. In fact, if I once asked a British guy about that, he said, man, the problem is you colonists, we gave you all of our stuff, we protected you, and you took it and declared independence. So ask a Brit about the revolution. They have a different perspective on it. But freedom is, despite political freedom, there's freedom which sits kind of closer to home. And let me just say this, that most of the things that we do in this life, in fact, maybe even all of the things we do in this life, we do in our struggle to be free. You may have never thought about it this way before, but I hope you will today. Uh, we work hard so that we can be free. Free from debt, free from hunger, free from being dependent on family or the government, for example. We work hard to be free so we can buy a house or go on vacation or send our kids to college. Point is, a lot of our lives, what we do, we do in order to be free. Freedom is foundational. Listen, freedom, this desire and need, and dare I say, expectation of freedom, is foundational, is a foundational human existential desire. I can't get out of my mind that ending of the movie Braveheart when William Wallace, who's just been eviscerated by the British, and he says, freedom! You know that scene? And then he dies. But <laughs> Freedom is actually a lot more profound than it appears on the surface. I mean, because Paul says later, Paul says today we're going to dive in on, Paul says, yeah, freedom is good, but also Jesus, Jesus actually is the one, Jesus sets us free. What does that mean? Is that just spiritual mumbo jumbo, right? Or does that actually mean something? Is this idea and this concept of freedom a little deeper and a little broader and a little more profound than maybe you ever considered? And the answer is yes. So two things I'm going to talk about today. First thing is, what does it actually mean to be free? What does it mean? And secondly, how does Jesus do it? So first point, what does it mean to be free? And how does Jesus set us free? So first thing, what does it actually mean to say that you're free? You know, I have, a, I have a two master's degrees, had to translate Galatians from uh, Greek into English, 
And so I pulled out my dusty dictionary to look up freedom. No, I didn't. Actually, I Googled it. What does freedom mean? I Googled freedom, and here's what Google says. Ready? Freedom is the right to act, speak, or think as one wants, listen, without hindrance or restraint. It's probably what you think, too. Freedom is the ability to speak, think, or act as one wants without hindrance or restraint. Or to put it more bluntly, Frank Sinatra's famous song, I'll do it my way, right? That's pretty bad. Sorry about that. But the idea that most people think of freedom as no one's going to tell me what to do. I'm my own man. I'm my own boss. Looking out for number one, I'm free. Free from all restraint. My, my heart craves to be free from people telling me what to do. And in fact, in some way, that's a good thing. We've got the freedom to vote. We've got the freedom of speech. We've got freedom of the press. The freedom to choose what we want to be when we grow up. In other words, and I, I bet you believe this too, because I did till I really thought about it, that freedom, for most of us, our concept of freedom is doing and saying what we want, listen, without restraint. That's what most people think of when they think of freedom. But let me just ask the question, hang on, is that real freedom? If we think that freedom is doing and saying what we want when we want now without someone else telling me what to do, is that real freedom? Well, if you just stop and think about it for a moment, you'll see that it's not. Here's why. Paul uses a continual metaphor all through this epistle to the Galatians of slavery and freedom. And he doesn't mean 19th century American slavery. It's a metaphor. Slavery and freedom, meaning slavery is what you're bound by and freedom is what you're not bound by. But the things that we choose in our decisions to be free, those things actually enslave us. Let me give you an example. I knew a guy in uh, New Jersey... I won't tell you his name. You would know him anyway. doesn't matter. But he was a guy. Uh, it was three brothers. He was one of three brothers. This guy was a Christian. Uh, we were at his beach house in Avalon, New Jersey, smoking cigars and having a cocktail one night, had a, having a great time. This guy and his, three, his two brothers and he were both, the three of them owned a company, privately held company, worth $3 billion. That's more money than I've got, right? A little bit, <laughs> So this guy I'm talking to was a, was a billionaire on paper, anyhow. Anyway, he once said to me, he said, you know, we were just sitting around. I didn't need anything from him. I was the deacon at the church, so I didn't need anything from him. And he said, you know, you don't realize how enslaving it is to be wealthy. And I said, well, it wouldn't be something I wouldn't mind trying to find out for myself. He said, no, hang on. He said, you know, here's the thing. He goes, I never actually quite know what somebody's after. I never know if they want to be my friend because they love me or they like me or because they want something from me. I never know. It's a trap. He said, he said to me, I am enslaved by this wealth. Listen, unrestrained freedom, the stuff that you and I consider without really thinking about it, of what makes us free, these things actually make us slaves to the things we think make us free. Let me give you an example. You are free to tell the truth or not. But if you lie, you become a slave to your own deceit. You can even be free. You can be free to choose uh, anything, right? To be a parent. But then in some sense of the word, you become a slave to being a parent. You're controlled by it. I don't mean that negatively. I just mean it becomes what controls your life. 
You know, the funny thing is, you can even, nowadays, you can even be free to choose your own personal pronoun. Katie and I, my daughter, my middle daughter and I went up to UCF a couple months ago for uh, orientation class. And uh, <laughs> I'm not kidding. I'm not making this up. They had a, a piece of paper here to fill out. It said, first name, last name, personal pronoun. I said, what in the world does that mean? And Katie said, I really don't know, Dad. But I guess, you know, you can't be controlled by society telling you whether a male or female. So you know what I put in my personal pronoun? Your Highness. <laughs> but here's the thing. If you chase that rabbit where you're going to decide without restraint your own personal pronoun, you in some ways now become a slave to your decision. That my point I'm trying to make here is that freedom is not quite so cut and dried as you might think. Freedom is not quite as great as you might think. Any choice you make restrains you, makes you a slave to it. All of your exercises of freedom enslaves you. It rules you rather than the other way around. So the point I want you to see, I'm going to move on here to the gospel, is that real freedom, real freedom can't just be, cannot be, just freedom from something. Real freedom cannot just be no restraint. Real freedom must be freedom to actually become something. This is Paul's point. It's not a lack of restraint. It's where do you go? For example, back in 2015, I, me and three friends of mine went on a cross-country trip around Iceland, which was a blast. Uh, and we were there just providentially at the same period of time that Iceland was deciding if they wanted to join the EU. Icelanders are fiercely independent. There's only 200,000 of them in the whole world. So they're very cautious about their culture. And I was in Reykjavik uh, talking to an Icelandic policeman. And I said, hey, how do you think this is going to go, this vote to join the EU? And he said to me, we don't want it. I said, really? He goes, we don't want to be... We don't, we don't want to be like all the countries of Europe who have become part of this collective. We want to be who we, wa we are. We want to be Icelanders. And they shot the vote down, by the way. The point I want you to see is they, they didn't want just freedom from restriction. They wanted freedom to become what they were already. They wanted the freedom to be who they were as a people. That's my first point. Real freedom, biblical freedom, is not just freedom from restraint. Real freedom is the freedom to become what God has called you to be. That's my second point. How does Jesus then get us there? How does he, how does he set us free? Well, let's look at it for a second here. Paul says in chapter 5, verse 1, For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again, go backwards, to a yoke of slavery. What does that mean? That just, again, mumbo-jumbo? Well, what does it mean to be set free by Jesus? Well, here's the thing. If real freedom is not just a, a, a freedom from restraint, but real freedom is to become something, then you might say real freedom is what you were existentially designed to be. Stay with me. To be free is to be your real self. To be free is to be how God created you to be. What is that? Let me give you another example. Back when I was in New Jersey again, we used to take a uh, tuna charter out, uh, out of Point Pleasant to what's called the canyon. Anybody ever done this? 
there's a huge, it's the, it's the Gulf Stream, and it runs maybe about 150 miles off the coast of New Jersey. So me and three friends of mine would charter a boat and go on an overnight trip to catch tuna. Blast, smoking cigars and catching fish, nothing better. Anyway, so we'd be out there catching tuna, and you've ever seen tuna, which you don't realize unless you've seen them in the water, is that tuna is, they're really strong. I mean, they're really strong. To catch a 115-pound tuna will exhaust you, maybe. But they're strong, they're fast. A tuna is essentially, when it's in the water anyway, is essentially a torpedo. They're agile hunters, they're fast, they're, 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 they're amazing to see. You can see them in the schools under the boat sometimes. And then you catch them, and you reel them in, and you gaff them, and you bring them on board, and you put them on the boat, and they flop around. And it's actually kind of pathetic. Then you eat them, which is a little bit better, but... The point I want you to see here is that a, a, tuna, a tuna is only really existentially a tuna, the way it's meant to be, when it's in the water. Because a tuna, when it's out of the water, is no longer, no longer free to be what it's supposed to be. Real freedom moving toward, is moving towards something to what God designed you to be. Freedom for a tuna is the open ocean. Freedom for a horse is a wild open field. So to Paul's point, what then is real freedom for you? Paul describes it in two ways, ad negativa, and then, which means the contrary, and then he gives you the actual evidence. This is what he says. He says, no, here's what you're not created for. Here's what God did not create you to existentially be. He says it. Sexually immoral. Sensuality, he says. God did not create you for chapter, verse 20, enmity, strife. Jealousy, fits of anger, rivalry, dissension. That is not what God designed you to be. But notice something. Those are relational terms. In other words, Christian freedom is relational. Christian freedom is with, has to do with God first and foremost and then with one another. And Paul says Christian freedom is moving away from these very things. Enmity and strife and jealousy and anger and rivalry. Christian freedom is moving away from those things to what you are existentially created to be. Loving and joyful and peaceful and kind and patient and good and self-controlled and gentle. And let me ask you, if you think, oh, come on. Well, let me ask, it's obvious if you think about it for a second. Is there any person in this room who wishes that you were less kind? Anybody? Anybody wake up and say, you know, I'm going to be less kind today. Anybody here wish they were less gentle? Anybody here wish they were less, less self-controlled? Anybody here wish they were less faithful? Anybody? No. You know why? Because the thing that you existentially want to be are the very qualities that God created you to embody. All the trash of your life all the things which keep you from these things that, you want, that Paul says you want to be, joyful and kind and patient, persevering, good. All these things are only caused, all the reason you don't have that in your life is caused by only one thing. You know what it is? One thing in two forms. It's caused by sin. First, the sins that you've committed and then secondly, it's the sins that have been committed against you. Yes, there is suffering from the natural law. We do have earthquakes in Japan and things like that, but I'm not going to talk about that today. What I want you to see here 
is that the suffering and the envy and dissension and, and, and all the things in your life which make you suffer come from one of two sources. Sins you've committed or sins committed against you. All the relational struggles in our lives come down to those two things. Well, two, one thing in two forms. Sins we've committed and sins committed against us. Sins we have committed that we hold on to guilt and self-doubt and regret. If I'd only done. Or sins that have been committed against us. Ever happened to you? Of course it has. And you've you remain stuck and resentful, and you can't forgive. Sin destroys. Sin keeps you from what you want to be, kind and joyful and peaceful and loving. And Paul says in an amazing thing, this is astounding, Paul says that Jesus actually sets you free, or at least offers it. How is it? Well, simply because Christ died on the cross to pay for sins. Jesus Christ dies on the cross to pay for your sins and for mine so that I can be released from guilt and shame and self-doubt, so that I can have peace with mistakes I've made in my life, so that you can have peace in your life, even despite the mistakes you've made, the things, the things you've blown, the relationships you've maybe soured. Or maybe it's because of the things that have happened to you. You know, Jesus' forgiveness isn't just to forgive you, but to forgive those who have hurt you. Jesus, when he forgives you, will give in, embodies and enables you to forgive others. There's an old saying, Sharon Merbarger used to say this, and it's brilliant. I'm not sure where she picked it up. But she used to say, you know, hurt people hurt people. Hurt people hurt people. But Jesus Christ dies on the cross to forgive you your sins and to enable you to forgive the sins of people that have sinned against you. Jesus says this very thing. We say it in the Lord's Prayer. We'll say it today. Father, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. That is the way to true freedom. So here's the question. It's a diagnostic. Are you free? I don't mean free from restraint. That gets you nowhere. I mean, are you free to be the man or woman that God has created you to be? Well, do you harbor anger and resentment and frustration and guilt and regret? If you do, then you're still a slave, and the answer is no. But friends, Jesus offers to set you free from that, you see. He offers to set you free from your sins so that you can be what you were made for. To be, to be in relationship with God, first and foremost, and then to love one another as he has loved us. So if you're not free, do you want to be free? Free from the sins and the junk of your past? Free from the slavery, the sins that have been committed against you? Do you want that freedom? And the answer is you do. It is one of the most fundamental existential needs of the human condition, to be free, because we were created for it. Friends, for the Christian, Jesus offers us freedom, not from restraint, but freedom from the past, and freedom, most importantly, and most amazingly, freedom to be his once again. Not to do whatever you want, but to do what he made you for, to love God, first and foremost, to love one another, that is true freedom. 
do you want to be free? Shall we pray? Father, we thank you for Jesus who sets us free and sets us free to be the people he has created us to become, who sets us free to love you, Father, and love those around us because we have first been forgiven and loved. In his name we pray. In his name we pray. Thank you for tuning in to our Trinity Episcopal Church podcast. To find out more about the work God is doing through Trinity, visit us online at trinitybureau.org and follow us on Facebook. Facebook.